I'm Scott Paul, and this is the Manufacturing Report. We said, wait a minute, why don't we do the whole thing? Why don't we make it and distribute it? Why don't we be the marketing person? And the American company who buys from China, they had no idea how to market because they were just operating as a distributor. They were the only game in town, and we completely ate their lunch. This time of year, a lot of people are making holiday cookies. And to do that, many will use cookie cutters. Well, there's a company in Vermont with humble origins that now makes 4.5 million cookie cutters a year. That's Ann Clark Cookie Cutters. They've established themselves as America's go-to cookie cutter manufacturer. And they're well on their way to taking on China and dominating the global market. Today, I speak with Ann Clark Cookie Cutter CEO, Ben Clark, to find out how the company has grown from a hobby project to an industry powerhouse. That's next on The Manufacturing Report. I'm joined now by Ben Clark, the CEO of Ann Clark Cookie Cutters, on the podcast with me today. Ben, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Scott. I'm thrilled to be here. So tell us a bit about your business and, you know, kind of tis the season because holiday cookies are all around us. And I'm sure that's a big part of your market as well. Sure. So my parents started the business back in 1989. My mom is an artist. She studied art at the University of Maryland. My dad was a construction consultant and the construction industry had sort of crashed in Vermont as the recession was was in full swing. So my mom designed a pig and she made a pig cutting board and pig Christmas ornament and pig coasters and and she found somebody to make a big cookie cutter for and they took it to a wholesale gift show and they sold a bunch of stuff and they said wow we have a little business and so they added a cow and a sheep and they dropped some of the products and they went to another trade show and they sold some more so they did this little wholesale business they kept adding shapes and cutting the products that weren't selling and suddenly they were a cookie cutter company so they were buying cookie cutters from another u.s manufacturer tying recipe cards to them that my mom would design and they would sell them at wholesale gift shops and they had a little business about 20 years ago, I was living in Annapolis with my wife. You know, I'd grown up in Vermont, but I had no desire to ever come back to this godforsaken place until my wife was pregnant with my oldest daughter. I was in a great job at Black & Decker. My wife was on a partner track at a great law firm in Annapolis. And one day I woke up and said, let's move back to Vermont because I want to raise my kids here. Growing up here was absolutely spectacular, and I wanted my children to have that same experience. So I convinced my wife to say... Yeah, we'll move back to Vermont, convince my parents to hire us. And really, the cookie cutter business to me was an excuse to move back to Vermont. Got back here and realized, hey, we can make a go of this. So we just started working. And, you know, immediately we said we need to start making the cookie cutters as opposed to buying them because supply is going to be something we have to control. Right. So we figured out how to make them. And we built these pretty rough machines out of wood started making cookie cutters. And as we got better, we kept improving the machine and improving the machine. And we were making more and buying less to the point where we were making all of our own cookie cutters. And at this point, we're just in the gift industry. You know, it's cookie cutters with a recipe card. And, you know, it's like a teacher's gift or thank you for watching my cat kind of gift. So let me ask you, Ben, just real quick. So at this point, you know, it's beyond a hobby, but it's not like, you know, maybe what you would call mass market, right? Correct. And so where could you find these cookie cutters? Was this word of mouth? I guess, I don't know, online sales probably really didn't exist all that much at that time. Was it shows in these kind of small stores, these gift shop stores? How did these get around? Customers were sort of the niche gift stores. You're on vacation, you go to some cute little town and there's a gift shop and we would be there. Like, oh, I'll get the cat cookie cutter for Sally who's watching my cat at home, that kind of thing. 
our marketing was we were doing gift shows. So we did about a dozen wholesale gift shows every year. We had a catalog. We had manufacturers reps around the country. And we were advertising in gift trade magazines. And at that point, the gift industry was a reasonably strong marketplace. And we were growing. So we sort of kept going that direction. We got to a point where I had, we had stopped buying from the supplier that we had used to buy from. And I called them one day and said, hey, if you're ever sick of this business, call me. I'd be interested in buying you. And about five years later, this would have been about seven years ago, they called us and said, Ben, we're sick of this. So we went down, worked a deal, and we bought them. And what they were selling was just plain cookie cutters, no packaging, no recipe cards. And they were selling to some big box stores like Williamson-Oh, Sir Latah, Bed Bath & Beyond, those kind of players. Sure. But they were selling to just kitchen stores. And we've never really sold to kitchen stores. So we suddenly started selling to kitchen stores. And immediately, we couldn't keep up with production. We literally produced a catalog that we never shipped because we were flat out. And what we discovered was at that point, there was basically one major Chinese manufacturer who owned the market. And we had come in and said, we want to do the same thing. At that point, I'd had this machine in my mind for years, had an engineer working for us, and we developed this new machine, which we run now. With that, we're able to make cookie cutters at the same cost that it would be to import cookie cutters from China. Oh, wow. I was just going to ask that. I was going to say, knowing some of the economics of the China price and at the time, the currency advantage, the labor, the environmental, all, all of that stuff, the, it's hard to compete against that. But you yeah. guys found a way to do it. We figured it out. Now, it's interesting, going back a little bit, all my friends, like my business school friends are all saying, hey, Ben, why don't you just buy the stuff in China? And I didn't know why, but I kept saying, no, I want to make this stuff here. It was almost like this personal challenge that we can compete making the product here in America. And I love manufacturing. I mean, making stuff is really fun. And I was like, no, we don't have to go to China for this. Right. I would just say you came from an industry at Black & Decker where tools were iconic American manufactured products. Yeah. And there's some still made here. But gradually, you've seen the offshoring of that industry pretty much wholesale. Yeah. A lot of it is, you know, I'm sitting there going, we can make a cookie cutter for the same price you can make it in China. It took a lot of work, right? It wasn't a layout, sure. but we could do it. And I watched so many products get made overseas. I'm like, if you guys put a little work into that, you could make them here. Just a little effort. Well, we got to the point where now our cost structures are the same. So now it's a level playing field. Now it's a marketing game. And that's where we really put the hammer down. So most manufacturing companies just make stuff and sell it to a distributor who really makes all the money. And we said, wait a minute. Why don't we do the whole thing? Why don't we make it and distribute it? Why don't we be the marketing person? And the Chinese people, we were, were the, it's an American company who buys from China. They had no idea how to market because they were just operating as a distributor. They were the only game in town. And we completely ate their lunch. It was actually funny, right when we really hit the market, they stopped labeling their product made in China. Ah, interesting. Which is illegal. Right. The Lanham Act is pretty clear. Right. So... Two or three years later, we figured it out because we're buying their product and seeing the shows and stuff. So, yeah, I called my senator. I called my congressman. I did all that. Nothing happened. So we finally had to sue them to get them to label their product made in China. Well, did you do this through the Federal Trade Commission or was this a civil action? When we sued, it was a civil action. Okay. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, cookie cutters is not that big of an industry, so it didn't really get our senator's attention. I mean, they came down and talked to me. Sure. So that really changed the game. Now it was crystal clear that we're in competition and we simply outmarketed them. Because we're made in the United States, 
our lead time is fast. If we're out of something, we're out of something for two days. Whereas if a Chinese distributor is out of something, they're out of it for three months. Yeah, and you have the shipping time, the inventory, quality control, all of that stuff. Exactly. We also realized that because we do a lot of custom work, we do work for like colleges and corporations and things like that. You know, your logo is a cookie cutter, that type of thing. We knew how to make dyes. We knew how to make them quickly. So we started a shape a week program. We said every week, let's launch a new shape. And the idea was we knew our competitor couldn't do it because for them to launch a shape was three or four months. We looked at just from pure marketing. It's like, what can we do? We know we can turn things over fast. We practice what's called lean manufacturing. So we carry very low inventory, but we turn stuff very quickly. We're like, how do we use this to advantage? New shapes, ship fast, price is competitive, and we just slowly but surely ate their lunch. I wanted to ask you just to follow up on one kind of technology thread, because I think this will be interesting to some of the manufacturing wonks who listen to the podcast. You know, it sounds like in terms of design and the customization and all of that, that digitization, you know, numerical machining, has that been a part of your success as well? Interesting is every cookie cutter has a die. And we immediately went the high tech route where we had somebody with a wire EDM cut them. So you had to digitally design the shape, send it to somebody who cut it on a million dollar machine. So we kept trying to get more and more high tech and it was taking longer and they were getting more expensive. And we said, wait a minute, what if we go old school, right? What if we just get old equipment and cut them by hand? Oh, interesting. And what we've discovered is you can make the die in the same amount of time that you could design one for a CNC machine. Wow. Yeah, I will say that surprises me, right. but you guys have had hands-on experience with this. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, it surprises everybody. I mean, everybody who's manufacturing savvy, who tours my facility says, you guys should be doing a CNC, blah, blah, blah. And I walk through and I say, how much is it going to cost me to make a die on a CNC machine? And how long is it going to take? Right. And that kind of ends the conversation. But it's fundamentally old school. and We don't have our heads in the sand. We're, we have more ideas of how we can speed it up, et cetera, et cetera. Of course. So one thing that I noticed was not only do you have your facility where you make these and produce them, but the inputs that you get are American made as well. It sounds like that was a conscious decision. It was. As we were growing, you know, everybody's saying, make it in China, make it in China, make it in China. And the reality is, if you're going to launch a new product, it's significantly easier to make in China than to figure out how to do it yourself. If you look at your desk and just pick a random item, like I'm looking at a calculator, I can send that calculator to China. I'll have a prototype on my desk in three days. As you know from your business school, just the supply chain biases, that that's where you go. But you guys chose a different route. We chose a different route, and once we got to the point where our cost was the same, now we have an obscene advantage. I mean, here, here's a great example. Last year or the year before, the llama, llamas are big. That's a trend. Who knows why? We got an e-blast from our competitor telling their customers that, hey, llamas are coming. We've got this new llama. It's going to be here soon. So we immediately launched two llamas. We sort of came up with two different versions. So 10 days after we got the message that our competitor was going to launch a llama, and it was on the boat coming from China, we had two different llamas in quantity in Amazon on our website shipping to stores. By the time the competitor's llama hit the U.S., we already owned the market for the llama. Yeah. They were never able to dent them. And again, because we're here, it's speed to market. Right. So it's the holiday season. I suspect that sales increase this time of year. Oh, dramatically. 
sort of second half of November and December is ginormous. And what's happening right now, somebody is sitting home going, you know what, let's make cookies this weekend with our kids. They're going to go on our website or Amazon or one of the other websites we go to, or they'll go to Sir Latab or Bed Bath & Beyond or Williams-Sonoma, and they'll buy some cookie cutters because they're going to go make cookies this weekend. So you had mentioned llamas were hot in one respect. So what are the hot designs this season? It's interesting as we continue to launch new shapes and we launch a lot of new shapes, it's still the gingerbread boy, the snowflake, the dog bone. Sure. Still continually leading the charge. Unicorn head has done very well because unicorns were big. Llamas are coming in. We discovered in England that teddy bears are huge. <laughs> who, who, who knew? Who knew? Um, who knew? You know, it just keeps sort of evolving. And a lot of it, we're just looking at, you know, again, it's really a marketing game. And we're looking at Amazon. We're looking at the web. We're listening to what our stores are saying. We're listening to the cookiers that talk to us. And they just keep talking about what's missing. What are they looking for? A lot of it is just filling in stuff. It's usually just, hey, your shamrock's the wrong size. Let's make a new shamrock. Hey, you know, we need a dog bone set. We do a dog bone set. Hey, can we have different size unicorn heads or that, a lot of that kind of stuff? That makes perfect sense. And it's great because you all are small enough, but you have the scale where you can get that done. And oh, that's yeah. probably not the case for some other competitors or some other types of businesses. One question I want to ask you, Ben, because you have a manufacturing background independent of this. You got into this family business. Uh, it's really been turbocharged. You all are very successful. We get this question all the time. Like, I have this idea. I want to make it in America. I don't even know where to start. I don't know if it's possible. And we just had this conversation about, well, China is always the answer. What would you tell someone who wants to make a product in America? That's a great question. I mean, the first thing is all of the little companies like ours are always open to talk to people, right? I have two or three people a year that will call me to say, Ben, I want to launch this widget. What do you think? How would I do it? So there's a lot of free quality advice out there. Go talk to a company and say, I want to do this and understand what it's really about. That's huge. I think another one is marketing always wins, right? If you don't have great marketing, it doesn't matter how good your product is. Yeah. You have to have great marketing or nobody's going to know you have a great product. And then it's, you know, it's just do it. As we're looking at launching more products now, our conversation is let's do it faster. Just get it out there and see what people think. Don't take six years to develop the perfect product. Just launch something and the market will tell you very quickly what they think. With the internet age, there's pros and cons to it, but one of the pros to it is your feedback is instantaneous. Right. When I sell it to a store, I've got to talk to them like a year later to see if it's sold through. Amazon will tell you tomorrow. Did it sell or did it not sell? A certain amount of it is just do it. I think another problem that I watch a lot of small companies have is don't have an ego. If you have an idea, go with it, but you have to be able to accept criticism. If you launch a blue product and people say you should make it in red, make it in red. Don't argue why you made it in blue. It doesn't matter. You know, so you've got to be able to just keep improving and keep learning as quickly as you can. I say, put your foot on the gas pedal. Don't go slow because by the time you figure it out, your product's done. That's great advice, Ben. I'm glad you were able to share that. Well, best of luck, because I know it's a busy time. And thanks for taking a, a few minutes to join us on the Manufacturing Report. Oh, hey, thank you very much for your time and have a great holiday.
That will do it for the Manufacturing Report this week. To learn more about Ann Clark Cookie Cutters, you can visit annclarkcookiecutters.com. And if you're in desperate need of a last-minute holiday gift with speedy shipping, you can also find Ann Clark Cookie Cutters on Amazon. As always, I want to thank AAM staff and Cat Adams in particular for their work to make this episode possible. And for you, the listeners, for engaging with us and for giving us some great episode ideas. Now be sure to subscribe to the Manufacturing Report on Spotify or wherever you find your podcasts. Rate us and write a review. You can also find us online at AmericanManufacturing.org. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram at American Manufacturing. And you can tweet us at Keep It Made in USA. I'm Scott Paul, and until next time, together we can keep it made in America.